The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode 35, Hegel and the Western Implosion, Part 1. I realized, as I developed our series on atheism, concentrating as I did on the new atheists, who are largely Enlightenment rationalists, that theism has little to fear from them. They are not formidable opponents, as much of what they seek to accomplish, much of what they believe, is not foreign to Western theism, no matter what they might say. The two-track definition we developed reveals that a merely creedal commitment to atheism is often undermined by life and action. These creedal atheists are generally well-meaning and serious people who place a high value on truth, rationality, and empirical validation, who deeply respect science, believe that rationality must be constrained by the objective structures of reality, and who exercise measured, methodical skepticism, all of which play well in theism's favor. This was the road my atheism traveled, after all, and it led me back to theism. Without a supernatural foundation, my faith in rationality and the scientific process becomes groundless, and I could not make sense of the whole. While the arguments and positions of these atheists can be persuasive, their actions and values are too consonant with theistic and Christian assumptions to present a serious challenge to theism. Thus, only 5% of Americans self-identify as atheist. On deeper consideration, then, what concerns me now is a far more seductive atheism, one which seldom identifies itself as such. Assuming sheep's clothing but tearing, biting, and clawing like a wolf. This wolf is now full-grown in the Western world, as we have protected, nursed, and nurtured her in the folds of the academy, elite sociopolitics, and have progressively encouraged her to romp unrestrained in popular culture. She has always been wild and savage, but her ferocity has only recently turned on those who rescued and nurtured her, her devoted caretakers. Notable figures on the left, like Jonathan Haidt, are suddenly realizing, with surprise and horror, that this wild creature is dangerous. This wolf was born in the 19th century philosophy of Hegel. And I'm devoting a new series to tracing the development and nature of Hegel's threat to the Western world. Today, we introduce this series. I view the current intellectual and, by extension, cultural climate of our world through a philosopher's lens. I see the last two Western centuries as a Cold War battlefield 
between Kant and Hegel. I am an unapologetic Kantian in this war, as my doctoral dissertation makes clear. And while I consider Hegel the enemy, he is a human enemy, and one for whom I have immense respect. Hegel's logic, his most powerful weapon, is also a valuable tool in my arsenal. It has great intellectual value. In many ways, it is not Hegel that I blame for the practical results of his philosophy, but those battling, unbeknownst to themselves, under his banner, having conveniently forgotten him due to a variety of anxieties of influence. This fact explains my seemingly paradoxical claim that Hegel has permeated our culture without anyone knowing or reading Hegel anymore. That Hegel is at once the most obscure of philosophers and the most influential of them all. Hegel has become to the culture what Freud is to psychology. So deeply internalized that all that is of value is no longer even attributed to him. While Freud is the whipping boy of psychologists, they all forget that both the whip and the platform on which they stand to deliver him blows were his invention. There is one important difference, however, in that Freud was such a clear and engaging writer that he remains well enough read, known and understood, to be the butt of nearly all psychology jokes while Hegel is so difficult and obscure that he is known by very few, and understood by almost none. Meanwhile, his spirit has taken over the Western world. So, it is true that Hegel's influence, as Hegel, is negligible at best, and that the second order of Hegelian thinkers, Marx and his immediate acolytes, are nearly universally discredited by the utter failure of the predictions concerning the inevitability of revolution and utopia. This form of Marxism lies in a grave dug by the next generation of Hegelians. But, if we exhume the remains, we will find neither Marx nor Hegel in the grave. Both are alive and well though neither fully themselves. And those who claim to have buried them are, at best, self-deceived, suffering anxieties of influence approaching psychosis, or, what is more likely, purposely disingenuous in their funeral orations. Hegel's influence is twofold, his narrative logic and his metaphysics. The best way to understand Hegel's logic is in contrast to the logic of Aristotle. Aristotle's is a logic of exclusion, of rigid definition, and sharp boundaries. As such, it is an analytic logic of plurality, of diversity, of multiplicity, of being and stasis. For Aristotle, a thing is what it is by virtue of not being what it is not. It is a logic of binaries, 
of either or with the axioms of excluded middle, non-contradiction, and identity. By contrast, Hegel's is a logic of inclusion, of indistinct definition and fuzzy boundaries, a logic of unification, of becoming, of change and dynamism. For Hegel, a thing is what it is by virtue of what it has been, by virtue of its story, its relation to everything else. It is a logic of collection and connection, of both and, a logic of polarity, of opposition without contradiction. To state the contrast in a word, Aristotle is the logician of being, while Hegel is the logician of becoming. Aristotle's logic is transcendent. Hegel's logic reigns in shadowland, in imminence. Aristotle's logic is a tool in application to a content, to being, tracing its relations, clarifying its structure. Hegel's logic is not primarily a tool, at least not for Hegel. It is not applied to something other, but is the rational process itself. It is self-acting, auto-generative, completely self-referential, and, herein lies the rub, Hegel's logic is his metaphysics. There is for Hegel no being to which logic is applied. As logic, the process, is the very being of all that is. It is not a neutral tool applied to being, but being itself. All is process. All is logical, rational, for all is logic or reason. In his philosophy of right, he famously said, all that is real is rational, and all that is rational is real. For Hegel, the rational process is all there is. There are no true substances against which Hegelian logic might strike its shin, as all obstacles and all shins are nothing more than the process of reason itself. Reason has no real obstacles, no real limits. For all is ideal, rational. This is why we call Hegel's philosophy absolute idealism. My PhD advisor, Hermano Benchivenga, quotes Hegel's lectures on the philosophy of history in his brilliant book, Hegel's Dialectical Logic. Quote, the Hegelian concept is the simple negative into which all determination, all that is existent and individual, sinks. The concept is just the constant change of Heraclitus, the movement, the causticity which nothing can resist. Thus, the concept which finds itself, finds itself as the absolute power before which everything vanishes, and thereby all things, all existence, everything held to be secure, is now made fleeting. 
end quote. Now, what I object to in Hegel is not the idealism, but this absolute. Hegel's narrative logic in application to being, that is, subject to the constraints of the real, seems to me a philosophical achievement for the ages. It explains how our world changes, evolves, while, subject to the constraints of being, it retains an identity that we recognize across time and alteration. It allows us to view the world and our existence within it as a dynamic story with real characters and dramatic developments. To this extent, then, yes, I think that Hegel's logic is, in fact, the way that things naturally evolve, that Hegel is right, and that his logic is of great value for the explication of change. So, while I am going to argue that Hegel, taken as a whole, logic as metaphysics, is pernicious, I most definitely would say that Hegel's logic, limited by the real constraints of being, is, like Aristotle's, a great tool for explicating truth and for understanding becoming. Thus, I find great value in the various incarnations of Hegel's logic to becoming. Einstein's relativity, chaos science, quantum mechanics, evolutionary biology, depth psychology. I am aware that justifying these connections to Hegelian thought is a whole new can of worms. But the essential point is that the ideal must be subject to the real, to being. The ideal must be limited, not absolute, as Kant maintained. Hegel's logic is a great tool to seek for truth, so long as we remember that the rational ideal is subject to the constraints of being, that being is the ground upon which the pageant unfolds, and that reason, whether Aristotelian or Hegelian, is the tool we use to understand it, not being itself. To limit the Hegelian spirit in this manner, however, is to do the greatest of violence to Hegel. Thus, I glory in applying Hegelian logic to something, like the definition of atheism, in refusing to allow it its own self-referentiality and metaphysical pretensions. It is when we elevate his narrative logic to a metaphysics, that is, remove all real constraints from reason's purview and action, that Hegel's philosophy becomes the pernicious enemy of humanity in the battle for the human soul, which has played out over the last century and a half. This serves, I hope, to whet the appetite, and as a primer for the much more extensive elucidations I hope to present as this series unfolds. I am, as yet, uncertain how many episodes it will take to adequately cover this topic. So stay tuned as we work it out together. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything 
that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.